You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Happy 10th anniversary, Harvest York Region. And uh, this is a great day. Can you just sense a, a spirit of celebration in here today? And uh, there's a good reason for that because as we've been reminded through the video and the different people have been giving testimony up here, God's done great things. And uh, I think sometimes you just have to hear it from a person outside of your church. It's not normal. This this is not normal uh, what you're seeing just in 10 short years. And to think like, look at three full services every weekend and a church that's been planted and a another campus that's been started and uh, helping to plant and, and, and support churches internationally in 10 years? It's amazing. But we, we're not patting ourselves on the back, are we? No, now God uses faithful, humble people. We're recognizing that. But God is the one who's doing it. He's the one who's at work. And uh, we praise him today for that. And so uh, Lynn and I have been so excited about coming this weekend And uh, thank you, uh, Paul, Pastor Paul, for the uh, invite, and Sue for uh, inviting us to come and being a part of the celebration here. We've been blessed in all the services, just hearing and watching. We've obviously followed this church from uh, Chicago and had a small role in helping to get Durham started as an elder there. And uh, it was fun to see you in here last night. And and, um, my heart's full, too. And uh, praise God. Uh, for what he's doing. So we're excited to be here. I mean, anytime Lynn and I can get back to Canada, I mean, we're both from Brantford, and uh, anytime we get a chance to come back to Canada, the country flowing with Tim Hortons and Swiss chalets, <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, we love to get back, and uh, hopefully we're going to hit one of those before we're out of here. But, um, but it's really great, and of course, we, we're really looking forward to being with Paul and Sue. They're just great ministry friends, but they've been friends for a long time. It was just really thinking about that. I knew Paul when I was a youth pastor at St. Faith Baptist in St. Thomas, and uh, that's a long time ago. Uh, but just to see Paul come into our fellowship, I was so excited when they came in. And don't you just love your pastor? Uh, yeah, you got it. You should, yeah. When you have a pastor who loves the Lord like he does, when you have a pastor who's committed to preaching the word, but when you have a pastor, and tell, I'm telling you, he loves you as people. He talks about you guys all the time and just the great church that he has. And so we're really grateful for Paul and Sue and the chance to be here. But, you know, this is not only what God is doing here, but one of the things that I think the greatest thing that God's doing in our Harvest family is church planning. Would you agree? And I hope you have a sense, because I'm here as a part of Harvest Bible Fellowship, to say thank you. We look at you, this church is one of our partners, and you financially give towards it, you prayerfully support it, you're involved in church planning. I I really believe the greatest thing that we are doing as a group of churches is this thing called church planning, and it's just amazing what God's doing to think that we've planted over 150 churches in North America and around the world, and uh, this thing called the training center, and uh, we got 40 guys at the training center. That is amazing. The biggest class we'd ever had before that was 15. And this year we got 40 guys and they moved their families to Chicago and they're all heading out to, uh, about a year from now to plant a church. It's just, it's just humbling, isn't it? But God is allowing us to do this together and we thank you uh, for your role in that. But the thing that I'm really fired up about, and I think all of you are kind of giving me that look like, oh, thank you, thank you for saying those things, but are we going to get into the Bible? 
And uh, right, you guys have been trained well. Like, are we going to get into God's word? The answer is uh, yes, we are. And uh, I want you to turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. Uh, Joshua chapter 3. We're going to look at chapters 3 and 4. And uh, this is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. Don't you love the Old Testament? I love all of the Bible, but I do, I do love looking back into the Old Testament because you see these great stories that just kind of raise up who our God is and his character and his faithfulness and his power, but we get to see him doing it uh, through people just like us. Would you agree with that? It's people like us, and this is a great thing. He, it's not just that we're looking back going, oh, wasn't God great back in those days? God wants to do it through his people like us today, and that's, this should just encourage us, and so... I want to leave you with one, the, the message has one simple truth. So here's what I want to communicate through this story of Joshua. It's this. When God does something great, he wants us to remember it. Just think about that. When God does something great in our life, in our family, or in our church, when God does something great, he wants us to remember it. And I believe Joshua chapter three and four is just like that is the point of the whole story. And we're gonna learn from the people of Israel and why it was important for them to remember. And I think it'll apply to our lives in this church. Uh, but before, of course, we get into God's word, I think it's important that we just pause and pray. So will you do that with me? Father, I thank you for this place. And I thank you for the mighty way that we see you at work. And uh, we believe, God, that you're not finished we believe you're, the best days for this church are still in front of us. And so, God, will you keep us humble? Will you keep us trusting you? Will you keep us walking by faith? And uh, we believe you for more, God. More people coming to know you. More people being discipled. And yes, maybe more churches being planted. And, and uh, the involvement that we have, God, we're blessed by you. You don't need us, but you involve us. You use us, and, and we're so thankful for that. And so, Lord, we've raised up our voices. We've worshiped and remembered who you are. We've given to you, and it's a good reminder as we are blessed with the opportunity to give and so the ministry can carry on here. God, we're thankful for uh, the opportunity now to open your word. We want to worship you now through the teaching of your word. And so, Lord, will you just cause us to lean into your word this morning? Will you take away the distractions that maybe that we've walked into so that we can listen and, and lean into and hear the truths of your word that want to change and transform us and make us more like your son Jesus? And so we pray for that, Lord. And I pray now, I'm just your messenger here this morning. Will you speak through me? Will you help me to communicate your word in an accurate and practical way? And so, Lord... Um, we love you, and we look forward to hearing from you now. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Okay, Joshua chapter 3. Let's kind of read the first seven verses because this is going to tell us about this obstacle that Israel was facing. So here we go, starting in verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days... The officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, 
Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. All right, so are you ready to jump into the story? If you're ready, say jump. Oh, you're ready. I love that. Okay, so can I just give you a little context as we kind of look at the obstacle here? And so you remember that God had raised up Moses to deliver the people of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. Remember that story? And uh, God had performed already the great miracle of the Red Sea crossing. But because of the people's unbelief and their disobedience to God, you remember, that generation was never allowed to enter into the promised land. But what did they have to do? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation had died off. Now Moses was dead. And God was raising up his new leader. And his name was? Yeah, Joshua. And Joshua's first and primary responsibility was now to lead this new generation into the promised land to conquer it and to make it their own. But listen, you know, the scripture makes it really clear. There were many battles ahead of Israel and Joshua, all right, if they're going to conquer the promised land. I mean, Jericho was just around the corner, and there was many nations that were far greater and mightier than Israel that they were going to have to fight and conquer if they were going to possess the promised land. But listen, the greatest battle and the first battle actually laid right in front of them, and it was before they can even get into the promised land, and that was going over and through uh, the Jordan River. Now, I can see some of you are looking at me going, hey, Rick, like, I've been to Israel. I've seen the Jordan River. I've seen pictures. Why was going across the Jordan River such a big deal? It wasn't that big. Uh, you are correct, but you know what? This is an important piece. You see, uh, Joshua and the people of Israel, Bible scholars believe, had arrived at the Jordan River in springtime. It was probably March or April. And you know what that meant? that the snow from the surrounding mountains had melted and it run down the mountains into the Jordan River, causing the Jordan River, like it would do at that time every year, to swell its banks. The river was probably 100 to 200 feet wide. The water was probably 10 feet deep. And the current would be moving at such a rate that if anybody tried to cross that river, for sure they would be swept away and they would drown. That's the obstacle uh, that the people of Israel and Joshua were facing. Now, verse 2 gives us a little bit more insight into what was going on in the camp. And what does verse 2 tell us? How many days did the people of Israel camp there before they actually went across the Jordan River? Three. Yeah, three days. Now, we kind of would pass over that quickly, but do you ever stop and think what they were doing for three days? Well, there's probably a lot of things that they were doing in preparation, just daily living. But I'm telling you, if I was thinking, what would I be doing? If I was a father, which I am, and, uh, and I have a wife and I have two children, what would I be doing uh, during those three days if I knew I was going across that river? I'll tell you what I would have been doing. I would have been taking my wife and my kids down to the river. And how many thinks uh, dads probably bent down to that river as they were there and just felt the water? 
and saw how cold and felt how cold that water was. As they looked at that river and saw how deep and dark the water was and looking at the current and seeing how quickly it was rushing by them. And can you imagine the doubt and fear that would grip their hearts as they thought, we can't go across this river. It's impossible. What are we going to do? But here's the other thing I got to believe was going on those three nights. Can you imagine if you were Joshua? Brand new leader? Millions of people counting on you? How many nights out of those three do you think he woke up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat as his mind was racing, as he walked down to the bank of the river in the middle of the night all by himself, going through the same things, looking at that river and looking up to the heavens and saying, God, unless you show up, unless you do something great, we are defeated. There was a great obstacle right in front of them. But we got to, let's kind of just step out of the story of Israel and think about ourselves. Because in a group of people this big, I kind of wonder how many of us have walked in here this morning and we feel like we are facing our own Jordan River. What's your Jordan River? Well, it's that obstacle that's right in front of you right now that God is asking you to walk through and to cross over and you're going, I can't. I can't do that. God, it's too hard. It's too big. It seems too painful. It's too dangerous. And God, less, God, you show up. I can't do this. What does that look like in your life? For some of you, your Jordan River might be a relational challenge. There's been some hurt and pain and betrayal and you're wondering, I don't know where this relationship is going. For some of you, your Jordan River could be financial. Maybe just recently a job that's been lost and bills that are piling up and you're wondering how are we going to meet our needs. For some of you, your Jordan River could be medical. And maybe just recently somebody's been to the doctor's office and reports and tests are coming back and, and there's a lot of uncertainty about the future and you have some questions and I don't know what's ahead and we're standing there facing our Jordan River this morning saying, God, unless you show up, unless you do something great, I don't know how to move forward. But God is calling us to walk through that by faith and obedience. And listen, loved ones, and when God in the midst of that does something great, he wants us to remember it. Okay, so there was the obstacle. Well, what's the plan? You know, that's always the next, okay, okay. I can, get, I can identify my Jordan River, but what's the plan, God? And so that's what Joshua was asking. That's what the people were asking. So let's look at the plan. Look at verse 9. Let's start reading there because it gives us the plan. Verse 9 of chapter 3. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here. And listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, now here comes the plan. Here's how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from you before, now these are all these crazy names, here it comes, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Parasites, no, the Parasites, yes, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the, 
Watch this carefully. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. There's the plan. There's the plan. Let me just say this little principle because I think we all identify it with it. God's plan is not always our plan. Would you agree? Yeah, God's plan is not, his ways are not always our ways. And listen, loved ones, sometimes when you're standing in front of your Jordan River, we kind of come up with our own plan. And that's a bad plan. I'm just, can I just encourage you? Whatever you're facing today or in the weeks ahead, whatever God's plan is, go with that one. All right, that's when he shows up when we're walking by faith and obedience to his plan. So Joshua is calling the people. You see what's happening? He's calling them all together. Can you just imagine all these people gathering around and Joshua is about to give them the plan. Now, if you think, like, you're probably thinking like, what would I be thinking if I was one of those people? What do I think the plan's gonna be? What am I expecting Joshua to say? Well, I'd probably be thinking Joshua is gonna say, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna keep walking down the river until we find it much narrower, and then it'll be a lot easier to go across. Of course, that's what we're gonna do. Or maybe some of the people were thinking this, like, hey, look, we got a great campground. Like, this is kind of nice here, and uh, why don't we just wait it out? That's what we're gonna do. We'll just wait till summer comes and the river shrinks back down, and then it's really easy to go over. Was that God's plan? Wasn't God's plan. Listen, loved ones. God was using this obvious opportunity. God was going to use it as a platform, as an opportunity to communicate to the people of Israel and Joshua once and for all who the one and true living God was. And no matter what obstacles, no matter what circumstances, no matter what challenges they would face in the future, they were going to learn that if they walked in obedience and by faith and they did what God told them, God was going to show up and do great things for them. Do you see how that applies to your life? To that Jordan River that you're facing? So, here was the plan. <laughs> here was the plan. Joshua said, okay, here's how we're going to do it. Uh, the priests are going first. Uh, not a great day to be a priest in Israel. Would you agree? Uh, I, was, I don't think they were clapping going, oh, hooray, we get to go first. All right. Uh, so, four priests... We're going to take the Ark of the Covenant and they're going to carry it across the river. And then Joshua said, right behind them is going to be me. He's a good leader, right? It's going to be me and then 12 guys, one from each of the 12 tribes. You're going to select one guy. He's going with me. And then, you know, uh, the millions of people, you guys follow behind us, but you got to stay back 2,000 cubits, which was about 1,000 yards. Now, why? Do you ever think about that? Why? Why was that so important? Well, there, I think there was two reasons. One was out of respect for the Ark of the Covenant, which is, was, it was a symbol of God's presence. But secondly, they all wanted to be able to see it. They all wanted to keep their eyes, on, in a sense, on God. And so if they all got in too close, were, so they were standing back so that they could see that God was going before them. So that's how they were going to go across. Uh, that was the plan. So here's the question. And some of this, you guys are probably thinking this right now. Okay, Rick, I get it. I see the plan. But what's this Ark of the Covenant? Why was that such a big deal? So can I tell you about that? I brought a picture. 
That's the Ark of the Covenant. And maybe, probably many of you have seen it. Maybe some of you haven't. That's the Ark of the Covenant. Now look, it looks really big in that picture, right? It's not very big. Uh, it's actually four and a half feet long. It's only two and a half feet high, and it's only two and a half feet wide. It's covered with gold, but inside of it what was, what was really the main deal. And inside of it were three symbols of God's relationship with Israel in their past. Do you remember what was in there? The Ten Commandments, uh, Aaron's rod, and a jar of manna, right? All symbols of God's relationship with uh, uh, with Israel. And on the corners, you, see, you remember this about the Ark of the Covenant? It, 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 was, it represented God's holiness. And so um, no, human hands were never to touch it. And you remember some of the stories where people kind of forgot about that uh, and they died. And so there was these four rings, one in each corner, and the priests were the only ones who were ever to handle it, and they would very carefully slide those poles in, and that is the way that they would carry the Ark of the Covenant. And so it was a picture of God's presence. It was a picture of God's holiness. It was a reminder of God's power. Do you see what was going on? And these four priests were going to carry that thing in front of the people. And what did, what did, what did Joshua say? Keep your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant. He was saying, as we get ready to go through this obstacle, and people were a little afraid, don't you think? Keep your eyes on God. Don't keep your eyes on the river. Keep your eyes on the one who's in control. Don't keep your eyes on the obstacle. And listen, loved ones, do you see some application for our life too? And as you're getting ready to walk through that Jordan River in your life, as there's fear and doubts, but as you seek to step out by faith like the people of Israel did, and you start, start to wade into that water, you know what the evil one wants to do? This is what he wants to do. Exactly the opposite. He wants you to get your eyes off of God and onto that river. He wants you to get your eyes of, onto that obstacle that seems so big and off of God, and all of a sudden he seems so small. And I'm telling you, that's exactly how he wants to defeat you and discourage you as you begin to wade through that Jordan River in your life. Listen, loved ones, in the midst of those things, think biblically. Remind yourself, who have I known? Mike, what's the character of the God that I've served? How have I seen him to be faithful in my past? I'm telling you, it's the same God the one that we're studying this morning, he will be faithful to you. He will, as you step out uh, by faith. And so, can you imagine? So here they go. Eyes on the ark. Can you imagine being one of the priests? Remember I said it wasn't a great day to be a priest that day? You were going in first. And just, just think about it in the story. Like if you, here they are, they're carrying the ark, and they're coming up and over the hill, and now they hear the river. They're getting closer. Now they see the river I'm sure those guys have been down there a few times, all right? And now, do, can you just imagine this? The moment they're gonna step into that fast-flowing river. Can you just imagine those guys talking to each other? This is it, it's been great serving with you. you know. <laughs> no, I think they're going, God, I trust you, God. I trust you, God. I believe you're gonna do what you say because what did the scripture say? God would not hold the water back till when? To the, what does it say? To the soles of the feet. Of the, what's it telling you? Until the priests were in the river. Now listen, loved ones. Do you see the principle again? It comes back, keep bringing it back even to you. What's that Jordan River that I'm walking through? What's that obstacle that I'm facing? 
Wouldn't it be a lot easier? If I was in control, if it was my plan, I'd hold the water back, then tell the priest to go in. That would be so much easier. That's not the way God works. He wants us to exercise our faith. And so the priests had to exercise their faith, believing that God would do what he said he would do. But it was when they were in the water, what did God do? He holds the water back. Remember, loved ones, step out by faith. And here's the principle. God's provision always follows our obedience. Remember that. You see it in this story. You see it all through the scriptures. God's provision always follows our obedience. You see that in the story. So here they go. And so that was, that was the plan. And uh, we've seen the obstacle. We've seen the plan. Now here comes the miracle. And this is part of the story that we all kind of get excited about. Look at verse 14. Let's read on. It says this. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now he gives us a little explanation. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up. What? Yes, it did. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heat. God stopped the water like a wall. It was piled up at a place called a dam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down from toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel were passing over on, what's it say? Oh my goodness. Until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Like, is that amazing? God is just, God is great. He's powerful, he's faithful. He was telling, reminding these people what he would do. Now, I think this is the miracle. God holds the water back. But there's two parts to this miracle as people walk by faith in obedience to what? So now comes the provision, right? Now here comes God's part. Uh, verse 16, what did God do? This is the part where you're supposed to talk. So in verse 16, what did he do? It says he, yeah, he stopped the water. I don't know about you, but when's the last time you saw that happen? Never. All right, so this is a great miracle that God's doing. But here's the thing that I love about this part. God didn't just make a little path, all right? It wasn't like, don't picture like two or three Israelites kind of going across at a time, all right? right? It says that he stopped the water all the way up. You gotta know this. See where it said all the way up to a place called a dam? You know how far that was away? 15 miles. Listen, God didn't make a little path. He made a super highway. That's what he did so that all the people uh, could cross at one time across the river and get safely across. I'm telling you, when God does something great, he wants us to remember it. And God did something great here for Israel that day. But that wasn't the only part of the miracle. What was the second part of the miracle? It's in verse 17. What else did he do? He stopped the water, but what else? Yeah, they, it, says they got, it was very... They made sure this was in there, that the priest stood and the people passed over on. Now, I'm not that smart, quite honestly. Some of you are probably thinking that. But what's the bottom of water usually like? I've been in lakes around here. What are they usually like? Yeah, they're soft and mucky. And you, sometimes you can even kind of get stuck a little bit in them. 
This should, this should encourage you so much as you're thinking about walking through your own personal Jordan River. We have a God who thinks of all the details. God, he showed, when he shows up, God shows up in such a personal way and he thinks of the details that we need. And God caused the riverbed to be dry so that when the people were coming over with their families and their children and their livestock and their carts and God paved the way so that the people could cross over easily. Listen, loved ones, when God does something great, he wants us to remember it. Okay, well, that's, that's kind of chapter three. There, there's a, the obstacle, the plan, and the miracle. Now, here's the question. Well, let's just read on. Let's look at chapter four because it kind of gets us uh, ready for this. Chapter four, verses one to three. Let's just go on in the story. And it says this. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Listen, what was going on here? Uh, God knew. Even though he had done a great miracle, God knew there was a lot of battles in front of, of Joshua and the people of Israel. There was Jericho around the corner. There was a lot of uh, large nations, mighter them, that were going to have to be defeated and conquered if they were going to take the promised land. And God knew that. And so God did not want them to forget this great miracle that he had done, did he? Because what's that little saying we keep saying? When God does something great, he wants us to remember it. And so what does God tell Joshua? Here's what I want you to do, Joshua. I want you to take one guy from each one of the 12 tribes of, of Israel, and remember, the priests are still standing in the water going, okay, come on, let's kind of get this thing going. I want to get out of here, you know what I'm saying? And one at a time, the, these 12 guys, they come back into the river close to where the priests are standing, and they pick up a rock, and they take it back out to the other side, and they build this little pile of rocks, this kind of becomes a monument because when God does something great, he wants us to remember it. Now, here, here's my question. Why is that such a big deal to God? That little saying, why is that such a big, why was, why was this so important to him? The 12 stones, why? And let's make it really practical. Why is that important to us? that when God does something great, we remember it. Well, you know what? I don't have to make up the answers because the answers are right in chapter four. There's four reasons. God tells them. In fact, just turn over to chapter four now, verse 19, and look at what God says. He says this, starting in verse 19. And the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones... Uh, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. So they've moved them now to where they are. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children, look at this, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of, of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord, your God, forever. Did you see them? 
Do you see some principles in there? And so that's how we want to finish now. When God does something great, he wants us to remember. And why? Why does he want us to remember? There's four things. Here they come. And uh, we'll do these quickly. Number one, God's provision provides opportunities to teach my children of his faithfulness. Do you see that? That's right out of 21, 22. Uh, God's provision provides opportunities to teach my children of his faithfulness. Now, do you see do you see the picture that's going on right in verse 21 and 22? What's happening? You know, it's now a number of years after this event has happened. And it's like you're picturing this father walking along now with his children. And they come by these stones in Gilgal. And the kids, what do kids do? They point at this pile of 12 stones and they say, Hey, Dad, what's up with the stones? What's that all about? Now, can you imagine this? Now, here's this father. And he takes his children and he walks over and they all sit on those stones. And that dad starts telling them the story about when he was their age and how they came to the Jordan River and the great miracle that God did and we didn't think we could get cross and, 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 and as we walked by faith and obedience to what God said, he, he caused the waters to actually open up and you should have seen the distance and it was so wide and it was so cool and we actually walked across on dry land and we took these stones out of the river and I remember that as a kid and listen kids, can I just tell you, that's the same God that we're serving today. I've seen him be faithful in my life as I've faced other Jordan rivers in my life. And listen, kids, he'll be faithful to you. He's the same God. He loves you. And you need to follow him with your life. And what a great opportunity. When God does something great, he wants us to remember it. Why? So we can tell our kids. So we can tell our kids. Now listen, dads, I want to talk to you specifically because the scripture is talking to dads. I got grandchildren now. You know one of my greatest joys, but one of our greatest responsibilities as fathers is to do what? Is to download our faith into our kids. Listen, we can't save our kids. Only God can do that. But we have a role of, of communicating to our children our love for God. I hope as they watch come into this place, they see a father who's fired up about God, but not only in this place, he's fired up about God during the week and he's in his word and he's a man of prayer and he's, and he's seeking to download his faith into his kids. He's telling them the things that God, he has seen and experienced in his life as he sought to obey God's word and as he's walked through those Jordan rivers and he's seen God's faithfulness and God will do what he said and listen dads, it's the greatest joy but it's a great responsibility and never download that to anybody else. Don't do it. Look, at some of us have our kids in maybe even a Christian school. Maybe a lot of you have your kids in a one or student ministry here, and those are great decisions. But you can never feel like, okay, that's their job. Mom and dad, our greatest responsibility, our greatest responsibility is to disciple our own children by remembering the things that God has done in our life and sharing those stories with them. Here's the second thing. Why does God want us to remember when he does great things? Because God's provision promotes a thankful heart for all he's done. That's what it does. When you remember God's goodness, it promotes a thankful heart for all that he has done. I believe that's a reason that God instructed Joshua to erect this pile of stones. It was to be a constant reminder to Joshua and the people of God's goodness and provision in their life that created thankfulness. What was one of the feelings you were feeling as you watched those videos, as we worshiped this morning, as you heard from these people? Was your heart 
just welling up with thankfulness? God, you're great. I can't believe what you've done. Of course it was. But I'm telling you, if we're not careful, it's very easy to get focused on the things that we wish God was doing in our life or we think that we deserve. And before we know it, we don't have a heart of thankfulness. We have a heart of ungratefulness. That's not what God wants. And when we remember and reflect on all that God has done for me, you know what? That's why he wants us to remember because it'll do three things in your life. Here's one. It'll promote a spirit of humility. Remembering what God does promotes a spirit of humility in your life. Listen, it's, it's easy. And I'm so thankful that you have leaders who are not doing this. They're doing exactly the opposite. But we can start to take credit and look at like, hey, look at what we've done. But I'm telling you, when you take time and realize and remember it was God who did it, we're absolutely dependent on him. We're just thankful to be a part of what he's doing. It wells up a spirit of thankfulness. Here's the second thing. It'll stimulate our faith. That's what a thankful heart does. It stimulates your faith. Listen, remembering God's goodness in the past encourages me to trust him for the future. That's what I hope it's doing in this church. Like, hey man, it's firing me up for 10 more years what God is gonna do. And then here's the third thing. It promotes contentment. It promotes contentment. A thankful heart does that. By thanking God for what I have and focusing on that, it will help me to stop yearning for the things that I don't. God gives to his children what we need. Don't think you're missing out. All right, here's the third thing. God's provision creates a platform. This is the third reason why he wants us to remember. God's provision creates a platform to proclaim the greatness of God to others. Isn't that great? It gives us a platform to create, to, to uh, proclaim the greatness of God to others. Look what he said in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 24. I'll start there to 5.1. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now look at what happens. Look at 5, verse 1. And as soon as all the kings of the Amorites, all right, these are all the enemies, who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, what does it say, their hearts? Don't you love that? Their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Do you see what's going on? They were fearful. We're not taking these guys on because of their God. Now listen, how does that play out practically in our church? Well, I know what your church does because you're like our church. Why do we have people on a regular basis come into the baptismal tank? And why do we give them time to tell their story before they get baptized? Why do we let them tell their story? My life was a disaster. I was, a, I was messed up, right? It usually goes like that. But then I came to know Christ and I put my faith and trust in him. And I'm not perfect, but he's changing me and transforming me. I'm not the same person that I used to be. Or why do you have these kind of testimonies? Either people on video or doing it up at the front where they talk about their marriage. And like our marriage was falling apart and it was painful and I couldn't stand that other. I wanted to get out. And then, and then they tell the story about how maybe they came to know Christ or they, for the first time, they just turned to his word in a different way and realized that God has a plan for marriage. He designed it. He tells us how to work. And as they started it by humbly to submit to it, what starts to happen? God starts to change me and my heart. And then he's, he's doing the same thing in my partner. And all of a sudden, that thing that I wanted to get out of, I'm actually loving it. And God's creating a good marriage. And I love that person. And do you see why we do that? 
Because why do we do those things? Because not only does it bless the person who's telling the story, because they're remembering the great things that God has done in their life, and not only does it encourage us as believers and we all get fired up, wow, our God is great, and look what he's doing, and I'm in a church where God is at work. Yeah, it does those things, but what else does it do? Because as unbelievers, and we're thankful that they're coming into this place and people are getting saved, but as they're sitting there and listening, it has the same impact that Israel had on the surrounding people. Their hearts melt and they go, God is real. There is one, really only one true God. And he's at work in these places and he's changing lives and often their lives are impacted. Isn't that great? Why do we remember because God's provision creates a platform to proclaim the greatness of God to others. And here's the last thing, and I'm done. God's provision, this is the fourth reason, God's provision produces an increased trust in God for my future challenges. That's why he wants us to remember, because he knows it's not over. There's challenges. You know what? When you get through this Jordan River, guess what? There's another one coming. For you as an individual, family, church, they, they keep coming because God wants to keep, he uses them to grow us and change us, to show himself faithful. Do you think he knew that Israel had more coming? Of course he did. Just, just think about this for a moment. So here's Israel. They've gone across, what a great day. What an amazing day. And, and they're all in their tents in the new promised land for the very first night. What was that like? A new place, new sounds, new surroundings. I'm sure as a dad, I, I, I'm sure I would have woken up maybe a time or two in the night as I heard things and are we okay? And, and can you imagine as those fathers, as they just felt a little fear and doubt maybe at times, as they opened the doors of their tent and they saw the pile of stones and the peace and confidence and calmness that would bring to their heart as they reminded themselves of who their God was. Can I just encourage you as individuals, as families, and even as a church, when the next Jordan River comes in your life, and sometimes we have a little fear and doubt, as you peek open, in a sense, the tent doors of your church and in your life, and as you see and remind yourself of those 12 stones, those things that God has done in your life as a church and as a family, as his individuals, that will cause you to have confidence in God, that you will trust him no matter what comes, that you will walk in faith and obedience, and when God does something great, you will remember it. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your word and I'm thankful for how practical it is and how it applies to our life. I'm thankful for this story of Joshua. It's not a story, Lord, it happened. It's an event, it's just recorded for us. And how it encourages our heart, it reminds us of who you are. But Lord, it's practical to us today because we see these things getting, getting, being lived out in our own lives and in this church. And, and so God, we praise you today, we worship you. You are a great you are the one true living God. And you are at work. You are saving people. You're changing lives. And you are building your church. 
and you're doing it right here in Markham. And God, you want to continue that. You want to grow it. You want to expand its borders. You want it to have more influence. So God, help us to trust you. Help us to be those people who walk by faith. Help us those people who our confidence is in you. That we'll always obey you. Help Pastor Paul and the elders as they lead to continue to be those kind of men. And God, we trust you for greater things. And when you do something great, we will remember it. And we ask it in Jesus' name.